Amen. Well, let's stand. Let's have everybody stand real quick and let's pray over uh, this God's word to us this morning. Father God, we just thank you for your rhema word this morning. God, thank you that we don't just have to come and hear me every week, but God, you have something to say. And Lord, so we just ask Holy Spirit that you'd speak through me. Um, God, I, I don't pretend to have anything good to say, but your word is good. And so that's what we hunger and that's what we thirst for this morning. So God, just uh, I humbly ask, Lord, that you would speak this morning, God, and, and rearrange our hearts, God. It's a, a miracle that you can do that. So we thank you for that this morning. We hold on to that. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Amen. So people of the fine print, they're everywhere, not just in the church, not just in our story. They're in every story. So I, I'm going to tell a little story this morning. I pulled a few prom photos. If you can put that one up there for me, Mike, um, to kick off the message this morning. And, and these are they're pretty awesome. Um, anybody been to prom in your lifetime? We have a few people that have been to okay, cake. You can raise your hand. It's, you know, this is a safe place. Um, and did, did you have some pretty snazzy outfits when you went, like this one? Right? You get some, you get, get anybody have the, the little bow tie? Anybody do the bow tie versus the tie? Anybody do that? Yeah, get the tux and you do go the whole nine routes. So you rent a tux maybe for the first time and then somebody does and does something a little bit more dramatic. You know, get a little bit more colorful there. Um, and then I've got one more, one more couple. There's this, this couple and they're award winners of some sort. Any, anybody know where I'm going? Anybody see the similarities in those outfits this morning? Anybody? Bowtie? No. They're really bright. Anybody? Okay. So what you're seeing there, what these three um, outfits all have in common is duct tape. And some of you are like, duct tape what? Like these are prom outfits made out of duct tape. And this is a for real thing. These are pictures from the international prom duct tape competition. And so you can go online. And you can figure out how to make a duct tape tuxedo, and then you can enter into this competition and win, like these guys. And so I was thinking about it the other day because we purchased some duct tape when we were getting ready to decorate our trunks for Trunk or Treat, by the way, which was an amazing success. I think our, our uh, hard number, well, yeah, we can clap for that. We, because, you know, our, our purpose and our vision for that is to be good news in the neighborhood, to be a light in the darkness. And we saw easily, you know, I think the number we put down was 125, but I'm going to be a pastor for just a second. I think we saw 200 people come through. Um, just an amazing, amazing opportunity. We, had, we saw several people come from our neighborhood right over here, um, inviting them to service. And maybe you're here this morning for the first time as a result of that. I don't know. But um, praise God for that. So anyways, um, we, we bought some duct tape. Um, when we were getting ready to decorate our trunks, and I thought, you know, everybody has got duct tape. We've used it. It can be used for a number of things. It's been used for everything imaginable in its history of existence on planet Earth. And I thought, where did duct tape come from? So I did what anybody would do, and I Googled duct tape. What's the story? What's the fine print of duct tape? And I found an amazing story, believe it or not. I found this woman who I've never heard of before, and I'm guessing you've never heard of either. Her name is Vesta Stout. And so what does Vesta Stout have to do with duct tape? Her story is written by a historian, you hit this, who works for Johnson & Johnson. Vesta is credited for inventing duct tape, and they have a historian that works at their company who wrote this article a few, just a few years ago. Vesta Stout was a mother of two sons that was serving in the Navy during World War II. And her sons were stationed in the South Pacific region of that conflict. Um, and she went to work, like most Americans did in that time, in some way to support the effort for freedom. 
And so all kinds of people get jobs to support what it took to fight in wage the conflict that was happening around the world. And she started working at Green River Ordnance Plant in Illinois. And her job there, think about this, was inspecting and packing cartridges that were used to launch rifle grenades. Okay, as part of the war effort. They were, they were packaged 11 to a canister. The canister was sealed with wax, so it would remain um, waterproof under those kind of conditions. But it was also laced with a piece of, of paper tape with a little tab on it that would tear off, and it would break the wax seal open in the canister, and then you would get to the cartridges. And so think about a global conflict where literally the freedom of nations is at stake, and your job is to inspect containers of cartridges. That's your whole role in this global, global conflict that's happening where a nation's freedom is at stake, okay? You thinking about it? So, but there was more at stake than just that. Her sons were involved, and she had heard from her sons that the paper tape didn't work. And so a lot of times under pressure, somebody would grab that, and it was supposed to, you know, break the, that, that, that tab was supposed to open up the canister, needing a cartridge right now when you're in conflict, right? and to spare somebody's life, and the tab would break off, and there would be no way to break the seal uh, without getting a knife or a sharp object, or you're, you know, you're hitting against stuff, you're trying to get this thing open, all the while while trying to defend yourself. And so people literally were losing their lives because the paper tape wasn't working. And so being a mom of, of, of two of these sons, she thought, you know, there's got to be a better way. And she thought through it, worked on it, she observed, and she said there's got to be a paper-based uh, tape that tears easily, that's waterproof and strong, that can easily, you know, solve this whole dilemma. And so she worked on it, she came up with a solution, and she passed it up the chain, and people said, well, that's a good idea, but nobody took the idea and ran with it. So she did what any mom would do, um, and maybe what your mom's probably done at least once. She wrote to the highest authority that she could find, and she wrote to the President of the United States, Franklin Roosevelt, and her handwritten letter up there on the screen, you can find it online, and, and in it, she draws a diagram of the box of cartridges and the problem and the solution. And then she appeals to him as a father of sons who also, he had sons in the war. This is a way that we can save lives, possibly my sons, possibly your son's lives. And so apparently that struck a chord because a miracle happened for Vesta Stout. She wrote this letter on February 10th and she got a response back, March 26, 1943, from the War Production Board in Washington, D.C. And they said, your idea is amazing. It's been approved and sent to production. We're going to make the very thing that you wanted to make. And they enlisted a very well-known company, Johnson & Johnson. Maybe you've used their Band-Aids or used a Q-tip of theirs before, a cotton ball at some point from them. They enlisted Johnson & Johnson to make the very first duct tape. It worked, and it was a great solution. It, in turn, did save lives and then has been used for all manner of things. And I wonder if anybody who made a duct tape tuxedo for prom even knows the name of Vesta Stout in the fine print of their story. <laughs> right? It's just the way life works, and it's the way the kingdom works. There's always a few visible people in the kingdom work of God, but the kingdom work of God doesn't rest on the gifts and talents of a few. Churches are not built, we've said it every single week of this series, on the gifts and the talents of a few. Destiny Foursquare doesn't function on the gifts and talents of a few. Tent America, the amazing um, national worship event that we were just a part of, um, wasn't successful because a few amazing people stood up on a stage. That, that wasn't it at all. Ten America was a success because people gathered in 400 tents 
all over the nation, most of them with no platform, no headline, no names on, you know, any kind of piece of paper. People just showed up and said, I'm going to play my part. I'm going to play my instrument. I'm going to sing my song and lift up the name of Jesus. And, and then it became a force for changing the atmosphere all over our country. And the name of Jesus echoed through Memorial Park. It's a picture of, of our team that night right here in Rapid City from the South Dakota tent in Spearfish. We've got pictures from there as well to the Sioux Falls uh, tent over at Church at the Gate and many, 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 many more all over the nation. 400 tents all over. I, I got to, yeah, it's amazing. I got to... I got to have coffee with Chris Bruce. He's a good friend from high school. He used to play, play with me in my, my, my little high school band. We used to go around all over the place. And, and him and his wife, uh, Lori, were organizers for the South Dakota effort uh, for Tent America. And, and his family, some of you were there. They played right before us at the Rapid City stage. Uh, I think there's 10 in their family. Is that correct? So everybody that was on the stage was their, like their kids. <laughs> now let me tell you. Now, they, they organized the Spearfish Tent. They, they played, what did he say? On Saturday, they played for eight hours straight. Eight hours. That, that, my fingers would be falling off. <laughs> Some of you know if you've played for two hours set before. Eight hours. And, you know, he talked about the experience, and I don't have time to share it this morning. But, you know, it, it wasn't for recognition or platform. Most people wouldn't even know that. They wouldn't even tell it. He just told me because I was his friend. I was talking about it over coffee. It wasn't one or two talented or gifted people. It was a sacrifice of many people. Church isn't built on the gifts and talents of a few, but on the sacrifice of many. I loved all the, the churches that were a part of that all over this region that came and lifted up a voice. And it's always been that way. We looked at the very beginning of this series in the book of Colossians, and we saw this principle. Um, chapter 1, verse 1, we see a visible person, Paul. Um, he even described himself as an, as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So there's structure and there's, there's leadership, there's authority, there's visibility. Why? Because people needed to know that this letter is coming from authority from heaven. And so this isn't just opinion. This letter is coming with, you know, God-designed authority from heaven. And so to do that in this situation, for the letter to carry the weight that it needed to carry to the church in Colossae, where it was intended, it needed a visible name in the opening line. That's always going to be a part of the stories in, this, in, the, in the world. But the problem with the culture is that culture wants to lift somebody up to the top, right? Culture wants to push one person to the top and forget everybody else that helped get them there. And God is not that way. And so there is visibility, but there's also the sacrifice of many. And so in chapter 4, beginning in verse 7 down to 18, we started this in the first message in the series. If you're here, he lists the people of the fine print. A section of the scripture that is a lot of people, a lot of people in this room, I'm guessing, probably don't have starred or highlighted or underlined or bolded or any little notes from when somebody preached the message about it. But God highlights these people, extraordinary people people of the fine print, the lesser known yet extraordinary people who beautifully carry the cause of Christ and faithfully build his church. And God sees and loves all of us playing our role to do the thing that he's doing on planet earth. So here they are in scripture forever. In verse 7 is where we're starting today. We'll read just a few verses together and we'll find our person in the fine print for today. Paul says, Tychicus, will you tell, uh, will tell you all, all the news about me. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. Now who's this guy? Um, well, we're going to describe him now. Are you ready? He's a dear brother. 
He's a faithful minister and he's a fellow servant in the Lord. What a great triple threat description of a person, right? And so I know this guy. I love this guy. We have a heart connection. We're in this together. This isn't a job to us. This isn't just an endeavor for us. We love each other. He says on top of that, of that he says, this guy is faithful. So not just that he's a minister, he's a faithful minister, and he's a fellow servant in the Lord with me. And so I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So he's also a gift, and the, he has the ability of encouragement, both by his message and the way that he's going to bring it to them. And we keep reading verse 9, it says, He's coming to you with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you, and they will tell you everything that is happening here. Now, Onesimus is a guy that, you know, if you've been around the church for a long time, you're probably like, okay, I've heard that name somewhere, but under pressure, you know, if it comes up, you know, in, in trivia or Jeopardy, I don't know if I'm going to really be able to pull together exactly who this guy is. And so um, Paul goes on to describe him this way, a simple statement. He said, he is also faithful and he's a dear brother to me. And so we know that he's a Christian. We know that he's with Paul. We know that they're linked together. We know he's faithful in working alongside Paul. He's in the inner circle with this person that God has chosen to make this visible leader of the expansion of the church. And that's what we know about Onesimus. Unless you dig just a little bit further in, and which, which is, that's my long-term hope from this series, is, by the way, is that we just won't just keep, kind of keep on going back to the highlighted verses and the highlighted passages in our scripture time after time after time, but you'll read around the margins and dig just a little bit deeper and let God unfold the riches of his word. Amen? The riches of his story. And to do that, can we just take a little sidestep and talk about the book of Colossians for one second together? Because it's not, um, you know, just, oh, I know Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians are, are the epistles that Paul wrote. They all have a purpose and a part being in the scripture and the canon of God's word. And they're all written as letters to the church. And so the letter to the church of Colossae had a major purpose. So let me just explain a little bit and then we'll, we'll jump in. Colossae was an important city. It, was a, it, was church, it wasn't the church that Paul started physically, but it was a church started from his influence, okay? And so he cared a lot about the church and it was a strategic city um, in Asia Minor and it was being compromised both with some relational friction that was happening on the inside and kind of with what you would call maybe a theological drift coming from both the inside and the outside. And so he wanted to address both of the, those things. The theological drift that was going on was that in the, in the baby state, in the embryonic state of the church, there were people coming in, particularly here, and four things are being addressed in this book. Number one, that we, we have to observe the Old Testament law and couple that with the grace of God to find salvation. So Paul wanted to address that and say, this isn't just works plus the grace of God. This is the grace of God that covers us for salvation. And so there, there were also people within the church that were teaching that there was a kind of this higher uh, secret layer of spiritual knowledge that you could attain to, something that was outside of the word of God, um, outside of the teachings of the church, that you could have some illumination um, into a kind of a special group of people who understand secret spiritual things. And Paul wanted to debunk that idea as well, outside of scripture. And so there were also uh, people that were teaching the worship of angels. And uh, there were those that were denying the very deity of Christ. And so those were the four major themes Paul, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, addressed in this letter. 
So there's a critical, this is a critical letter for the emerging church in the very first days of the expansion of Jesus' house, and a critical letter for the church today because all four of those things are still happening in the church today and in the society around us, right? People trying to say, well, yeah, Jesus is great, but you just got to add works to it and you'll be good. You know, there's a secret club spiritually that you can attain to that can show you the path, how to find secret things that nobody else knows, you know, this, this kind of, and you can rise up to some kind of a new level of spiritual status apart from the teaching of scripture. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people saying that, well, Jesus isn't God. He was just a good guy or saying, let's get into the worship of angels um, and go down that road for a little while. And that's why this letter is a critical letter. You've got to get that in your thinking this morning or else, you know, you're kind of going to get one level of this. You're not going to appreciate the gravity of what happened in the story. It's the same gravity of whether or not the people in D.C. took on Vesta's idea for duct tape, right? Uh, there, there is always something in the balance, and I want you to see that this morning. So Onesimus, who is he? Well, we know from the text um, that he's a faithful brother, and we also know that he's one of you. What, what does that mean? It means that he was from Colossae, so Paul's writing the letter, and he's in Rome, and he's under house arrest for preaching the gospel, and he's sending a message back to the church in a city that's far away, and he's saying, I've got Onesimus here, and you know him because he's you. He's from you. He came from, he came from your group. And so here's the thing they knew about him. Are you ready for the fine print this morning? This is what the church knew about him already. Onesimus was a slave to a rich man in Colossae named Philemon. And in this time, the Greco-Roman world and most of the history of the world, people had slaves in their home or in their businesses. And Onesimus was a slave to one of the leaders of the church in Colossae. But he'd run away from Colossae and he bolted and writers in history think that something went down between him and Philemon. I always say his name wrong. I'll probably say it about 10 different ways this morning. Sorry about that. And so he bolted away from Colossae, and he left that city, and he ran to Rome because Rome was this kind of larger city, and he thought to myself, well, I'm going to get lost in the city. I'm going to go to Rome and blend in, and I'm going to find freedom there, maybe find a brand new life. So somehow his path crosses with Paul, who was in Rome, and he was in chains, and so either he came to serve Paul by some means, or he, maybe he got incarcerated with Paul. We don't really know for sure. But their lives came together, and Paul led Onesimus to faith in Jesus. He became transformed. He became brand new, alive, and a follower of Jesus. And he saw the purpose and plan uh, for the kingdom. He became a co-worker with Paul um, in the kingdom. And now Paul is sending him back to the town that he came from. So you talk about some friction that's going to happen when the church leader is slave comes back into town, he comes back through the door, having been saved under the ministry of Paul, who is the authority in the church of the day, and he sends him back, this could get a little tense, right? It's a little, a little bit of tension there, and God wants to see the big picture and the big story, so he gives us another letter just a few chapters over in the book of Philemon. And so it's incredible that we've got Colossians to address the theological drift, and over here in Philemon, we to address the relational friction that was going on in the church. And so can we just put a little footnote here before we go too much further? There's always going to be relational friction in the church. So if, if there was, were people problems from the church that you left to come to the church that you're at now, guess what? You're, you're probably going to have some people problems that you're at the church now, unless, of course, you go to a church that doesn't have any people. But then you're there, and you'll probably start having problems with yourself <laughs> at some point. As long as there are people, there's going to be problems. But by the, here's the thing. By the power of Holy Spirit and the transforming nature of the gospel, we have a way to walk through those problems, right? 
And so here, additionally, there's always going to be a theological drift in the church. There's always going to be somebody coming along with a new book or a new idea or a new concept or a new way or a new secret or a new direction. And so for the theological drift, God says, I'm going to give you Colossians and a whole bunch of other texts. And for the relational friction, I want to give you a little letter called Philemon. Um, And it's a one-chapter book in the Bible, and I'd love to quickly read it for you this morning and uh, paint the rest of the picture of this story, okay? So it says, From Paul, a prisoner of the anointed one Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our precious friend and companion in this work, to the church that meets in his house, along with our dear sister, Aphia, and our fellow soldier, Archippus. Some more fine print people right there. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ pour out his grace and peace upon you. I am always thankful to my God as I remember you in my prayers because I'm hearing reports about your faith in the Lord Jesus and how much love you have for all his holy followers. I pray for you that the faith we share may effectively deepen your understanding of every good thing that belongs to you in Christ, okay? Now, do you see how that little line means much more to us now, um, now that we know what's going on in the church of Colossae before Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this letter addressing their theological drift um, called Colossians. All of a sudden, that little line right there kind of jumps off, and you go, well, I, oh man, I know what that line means because I know the whole, what the whole book is about over there. And so that line means so much more so that you will have a full knowledge, you'll have an understanding. I'm speaking to that theological drift of every good thing that we have in Christ. He's speaking to that. But he likes Philemon, and so he's, he thinks he's doing a great job, and he says, your love has impacted me and brings me great joy and encouragement for the hearts of the believers have been greatly refreshed through you, my dear brother. Now, here comes the request. I think this is a little comical. I, you know, you, you kind of see into the, the personality of Paul a little bit here when we start getting into this. Even though I have enough boldness in Christ that I could command you to do what is proper because... I'm the boss of this operation, is basically what he's saying. Even though I could do that, basically, he's saying, I'm an apostle appointed by the will of God, right? I could order you to do what you ought to do. I'd much rather make an appeal because of our friendship. How many of you had somebody do that to before? Anybody know where this is going already? You know, I, I could make you do this, but I'm not going to make you do it. But now in the next few minutes, I'm going to make you do it by not making you do it, by making you feel so bad for not doing it. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so you already know what that feels like in the first line, right? So I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. And here I go. Here's my appeal. Are you ready? This is what he says. So here I am, an old man and a prisoner for Christ. So just remember... Philemon, I'm your boss, I'm old, and I'm, I'm a prisoner, and you're not a prisoner. I don't know if you've noticed. You're not a prisoner. You're free to live. You're free to do whatever you want, eat whatever you want, and hang out and do what you want to do. Go on vacation, travel from city to city. I can't do that right now. And besides that, I'm old. You're still young. You see, I mean, you, are you getting the picture here? You're young. I'm sort of like a father. You're sort of like a son. I've had some experience. I've done it all. You haven't done it all. Oh, and I'm your boss. (laughs) And so this is good. This is great. This is going great so far, right? So here I am, an old man, a prisoner for Christ, making my loving appeal to you. It is on behalf of my child, whose spiritual father I became while here in prison. That is Onesimus. Formerly, he was not useful or valuable to you, but now he is valuable to both of us. He is, listen to this language, he is my very heart, and I've sent him back to you with this letter. I would have preferred to keep him at my side 
so that he could take your place as my helper during my imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. However, I did not want to make this decision without your consent so that your act of kindness would not be a matter of obligation but out of willingness. Perhaps, uh-oh, perhaps, there's, there's going to be a little curveball here. Perhaps you could think of it this way. He was separated from you for a short time so that you could have him back forever. Paul is one sly guy here, isn't he? <laughs> you kind of can see it? You know, we're kind of laughing because in the context of this is human, and we get human drama, but the stakes are high here. Onesimus can now show back up in Colossae, but if they find him, they can have him thrown in jail when he goes back. Or maybe even have his life extinguished. So the stakes are high. It's not just, hey, would you mind picking me up early and giving me a ride back to the airport conversation. This is, the stakes are high. And the stakes for Onesimus' life are, are way up there. And so Paul keeps leaning in with all of his heart. Listen to this as we keep reading. Perhaps you could think of it this way. He was separated from you for a short time so that you could have him back forever. So welcome him no longer as a slave. That'd be a good song. But more than that, as a dearly loved brother. He is that to me, especially, and how much more so to you, both humanly speaking and in the Lord. So if you consider me your friend and partner, accept him the same way that you would accept me. And if he has stolen anything from you or owes you anything, just place it on my account. So some think that Onesimus stole uh, money from Philemon, and, and that, that, that's why he bolted out of Colossae and tried to disappear in Rome. And so he's, Paul's saying, charge it to me. And so I, Paul, have written these words in my own handwriting, and I promise to pay you back everything to say nothing of the fact that you owe me your very self. <laughs> yes, my brother, enrich my soul in the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ. I'm writing to you with confidence that you will comply with my request and do even more than what I'm asking. I know you can do this. I know I can count on you. I know you're going to come through. I know you're going to see it the right way is kind of the language that he's using. I know that you're going to do the right thing, and if you don't, well, I'm just going to make you, because I can make you. Because <laughs> I'm your boss, remember? <laughs> and I'm giving you a chance to not make me make you, but if you make me make you, I will. And so I'm writing to you with confidence that you will comply with my request and do even more than what I'm asking. I like that. I believe, uh, Philemon, that you're going to go above and beyond. You're going to go above and beyond. And so Onesimus is in the fine print story today, teaching us some extraordinary things about God. Number one, don't ever count God out. Don't ever count God out. Because can, can you imagine Onesimus, you know, oh, sure, I'm a slave. I, I don't have rights. I don't have a vote. I don't have a place in society. I don't have a stake. I'm, not, I'm running away from who I am. My story is I'm, I'm getting out of my story. <laughs> I'm fleeing my story because I just got railroaded into a place and the circumstances that has totally got control over my potential and possibility in my life. But God comes into his story and says, nope, don't count me out yet. Don't count me out. And so you, you may be in the depths today feeling limited in every way about your possibility, but God still sees you, and you're on God's radar, and there's always an opportunity for God to do something significant. 
to transform your life and raise you up out of the circumstance that you're in and place you into his story. And you may think, I'm so far down that I'm just running away from my story right now. Or you may be like the other side of Onesimus that says, hey, I'm bolting out of here. I'm, I'm going to run from everything in the past. I'm going to run to something that I think is going to fulfill me. I'm going to go to Vegas or I'm going to go to L.A. or go to another city where I could just disappear among the millions of people and find whatever it is that I'm looking for. Now listen, God is what you're looking for. God is what you're looking for. And God sees you the whole time. So don't ever count him out. He might be thinking right now, I'm going to write him into my story. In fact, I'm pretty sure he is. Onesimus, if you told him when he was a slave that there's going to be a book, one of the 27 books in the New Testament is going to be about you, and God is going to use you both to help this theological drift because you're going to help carry the letter to the church of Colossae, and he's going to use your situation and your salvation to speak into this relational friction that exists among these people and into the cultural dynamic of slavery, which we'll get to in just a minute. Onesimus would be like, really? Really? Don't count God out. Don't ever count God out. Um, I love verse 11. It says, formerly he was not useful or valuable to you, but now he is valuable to both of us. Formerly, this guy is he's not con con uh, giving anything to the greater good. He's not advancing any eternal causes. He's not making any difference in anybody's life in any way that matters. But now by the power of God, transforming power of the gospel, he who once was useless, you now have become useful to me, Paul the Apostle, and to you, Philemon, as well. And that's why it's pretty cool. And this is his name. You know what it means? His name actually means useful. <laughs> and God fulfilled that promise in his life, and he wants to do that for you, too. The second thing that we're learning from his life, that the kingdom of this world, the kingdoms of this world are subservient, or they submit to the kingdoms of God. The kings and kingdoms and systems of this world are subservient to the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? It means that society may say, it's okay to have slaves. That was the culture. That was the time. That was the place that they were in. But God says, all men are created equal. Therefore, as kingdom people, as Jesus people, we don't go by the letter of the law, even if we could by our government. We go by the work of the Spirit who shows us that every man and woman is created equal under God and we, under this, we are all under the lordship of Jesus Christ when we are all slaves to one master and his name is Jesus. And so in the same way that we serve him and he covers us, we want to serve each other and we want to cover each other in this life. So Paul speaks to this and he speaks into it like a wrecking ball. And um, his mission wasn't even to change the legal structure. He didn't condone the legal structure, but his mission wasn't necessarily to change it. But what he knows is that his mission was to preach the gospel, and the gospel has the power to change the legal structure. Come on, somebody, this morning, right? And so do you realize that we have the power of the gospel of Christ in our lives? And so we, we can fret about the government, and we can fret about society, and fret about everything that's going on, and how all the world is disappearing right before our eyes in terms of goodness and values and morality um, and virtue, but we've got the power of God inside of us, the name, the power, the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Jesus to change the hearts of the people, and when change comes to the hearts of people, change comes to everything else in society. 
And Paul knew that, so he's preaching the gospel, and he finds Onesimus, and Onesimus says to him, hey, I ran away from Colossae. I ran away. You need to know my real story here. I was a slave to your friend Philemon, who leads a church up there, but I bolted. And when he met Christ, Paul says to him, here's the thing. Onesimus, you're now changed. You're not a slave anymore. You're a brother to me. We're at equal standing with God. And now I want to send you back as a demonstration of that power that the gospel can bring to people. And I'm going to trust that God's going to bring the same power. So are you ready? He says, I'm going to trust that God will bring that same power to Philemon. And so we can see the gospel working in the former slave's heart to bring him back to life and full of purpose, but also in a former slave owner's heart to bring him to say, I don't need to rule over men as their master. I need to see them as my fellow brother. God was saying, I'm going to change the dynamic here of the whole culture by the power of the gospel. And that's what we need in America, I'm telling you. That's what we need in this country. Changing laws is good, but listen, changing the laws doesn't change the heart. We've discriminated against people in this country for so long because of the color of their skin. And finally, thanks to God, some laws were changed almost 50 years ago. But, you know, people still hate people of different race in this country. The laws changed, but the heart stayed the same. And here's the thing. The gospel transforms the heart. We see it in this story, and we should pursue justice. We should pursue, pursue justice in every fashion and form, but we can't count on just changing laws to change people's hearts. And we have the power right here to share the gospel story of Jesus with people and to see them come alive from the dead and repent of their sins and come to fullness in Jesus and be filled with the Spirit of God and get connected to the story of God. Start getting their minds renewed to the Word of God and absolutely transform everything around them. The hope of America today isn't simply that laws change. The hope of America is that Jesus changes and awakens the hearts of people. That's the hope that we see in the life of Onesimus. That's why I love this story. We see the transforming power, the story of God and the transcending kingdom of God transformed Paul from an enemy to an ambassador. He was an enemy of the church, and now he's an ambassador in the kingdom, right? It transformed Onesimus from a slave to free, from lost to found. And get this, somebody, it transformed Philemon from a master of men to a fellow servant of men. And that's the power of God on display. The last thing that we see in this text, and we see it from Onesimus, and also from Tychicus, is that no role is too small in the kingdom that we serve in. No role is too small in the story of God. And there's no such thing as our God who is great asking you to do something that is insignificant. It may look small, but there are no insignificant tasks from God. Everything that God invites us to do has a significant ramification and potential in the kingdom story. And so never despise where you are and never let the woe is me take root into your heart. And if you're a visible leader, if you've been given some stewardship and some responsibility, and if your name is in the first line of the letter that you're reading, recognize the greater we. Recognize and try to use the we more than the me. 
<laughs> if you know what I mean. Recognize that it's a team that's moving the ball forward, whether that's, um, you know, it's in your company, your family, your business, in your classroom, in your organization, wherever you are. If you're in a position of leadership, learn from Anissimus today and learn that the greater we or us is truly better and greater than me. And if you're on the other side of the equation and you're thinking, well, I don't have the visibility, my name isn't the first verse of the story or the second or the third or the fourth, and I don't even get mentioned in the last few verses of, you know, chapter four, nobody ever mentions me. Well, listen, if God has given you the role that you're in right now, it's in his greater story, then you've got all the recognition that you need. Because he has put something in your hands that has the potential to change the world. You see it? In Onesimus' story, now Tychicus' story kind of blows my mind too. Just back up a little bit. When I first started reading the fine print with him and found him a few years back, because what Paul asked him to do, he says, we're fellow ministers, we're in this together, we're trusting God together, we're serving together. He was in the inner circle of Apostle Paul, the visible guy, and, you know, right in there with him. But once the Holy Spirit leads Paul to write the letter to the Colossian church to fix their theological drift there, called the book of Colossians, he hands it then to his most trusted person. He looks around the room to the fine printers there, and he said, Tychicus, it's going to be you. I need you to take these parchments to the church of Colossae. Make, make sure that Philemon and the other leaders get them and read them to the church. And I'm telling you, how easy would it have been for Tychicus to say, are you kidding me, bro? We've been together. We've been doing this thing together. And what? You want me to be the message boy? You want me to be the letter carrier? At this point, they don't know that these letters that he's going to be carrying are actually going to become scripture. They're going to become canon. They don't know that. They didn't know it was going to be. So they didn't know it was Holy Spirit inspired that they were going to be preaching about it this morning at Destiny Foursquare Church. It was a letter to a church to help them help them stay faithful to the truth of who Jesus was. But when he handed it to Tychicus, as he did what every person in the kingdom of God would want to do, he said, "If this is what the kingdom needs me to do, if this is what the church needs me to do, if this is the role that God needs me to play, I'm going to take this parchment and I'm going to go and I'm going to be focused until I deliver them into the hands of the leaders of the church. And Anisimus, he's going with me. We're praying all the way. We don't know what's going to happen to him when he gets there. We hope he doesn't get arrested or jailed or even worse, but you can trust me with these parchments. Here we go. And he never knew what was in that bag. He never knew that the living, breathing, Holy Spirit inspired, never changing, never fading, always standing, people building, church exploding, word of God was in his bag. Don't despise what's in your bag. If God asked you to carry it, if he asked you to do it, you carry it like you're carrying the kingdom of God because you are. You carry it like you've never carried anything before, and you carry it joyfully. And when somebody asks what you're doing, you know, don't go and do I'm carrying, I'm carrying a letter. I'm you say, I was asked to carry this letter to our church in Colossae, and I'd love to talk more about it, but I've got a mission to do. Thank you very much. I'll catch you on the way back. I've got to go. Cannot be distracted. I've got a job to do. I've got a role to play. I've got something that someone is counting on me to do. And I love that this house is filled with people like that. Onesimus was, was along. Maybe he carried the bag for a little while too. Maybe he got a, his, his hand on it for a little bit, you know, of, of that story as well. I'll carry, I'll carry the bag for a little bit, okay? You know, it, yeah, if he'd known what was in, he'd probably want to carry it the whole time. 
Give me the bag. I'll carry the bag. I want to be in this story. Why? Because Colossians has changed our world. Amen? Anybody love the book of Colossians? So anybody love chapter one? You rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your son who you love and whom we have forgiveness, the redemption of sins. Hallelujah. Right? Anybody love that? Anybody love the supremacy of Jesus in chapter one? All things were created by him and for him and through him. He, all things hold together. Anybody love that he is the head of the church, that he is the resurrected one, and he's going to resurrect all of us? Anybody love the ending of the passage, and we have peace with God through his blood shed on the cross? I love chapter 2. We're going to get right at that theological drift and say all the fullness of God dwells in him in bodily form, and just as you have started in Christ, so continue in him through in your faith. I love that the book goes on, chapter 3, and it says, set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of the earth and I love it when it says a few verses later when Christ appears you also will appear with him in glory we spent a lot of time in chapter 3 verse 17 whatever you do in word or deed do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ giving thanks to God the Father through him that's some passion and purpose for us right there this morning I love that he breaks down every barrier culturally there's neither male nor female nor Jew nor Greek or slave nor free in Christ we are all in all. I love Colossians. It changed my life. So thank you, Tychicus. Thank you, Onesimus, for carrying the word of God and delivering the message of God to the church and to us. <laughs> what looked like this little insignificant ass changed your life and changed mine. Church history says that Onesimus, after Paul died, he gathered all of his letters together. And he brought them to one place, a letter to the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians. He gathered all of those letters so that they could be collected to the early church fathers who then authenticated them in the process of creating the canon of the word of God. Amazing. You can find it in the fine print story of Onesimus. And then, I've been using this opportunity to talk about some of you guys. There's a guy by the name of Thyron Theory. I don't know if he's here in the first service this morning. There he is. All right. I got you. I hopefully to get you both services this morning. <laughs> you say, who is that? An amazing man. An amazing man of God. Who is he? Let me say this. He's one of you. He's one of our own who sacrificially gives above and beyond so that Destiny Foursquare Church can be what it is. Thyron serves Destiny in multiple capacities. He helps out in our children's ministry department. He plays acoustic guitar up here, sings on our worship team several times a month. He assists his dad, Lee, um, with the men's ministry at almost every men's gathering that we have. You'll see him there. He puts his shoulder to the vision and serves wherever and whenever there is a need. I mean, seriously, this guy is there. So some of you know Thyron is um, one of our passionate leaders of our Harp and Bull on worship uh, that happens on, on Tuesday nights over there in the office. So Thyron and Lyle took over leadership of that ministry when Pastor Brent transitioned out earlier this year. And so when Brent was leaving, I, I still remember what he said. I think there's only one person that's been here more than me, and that would be Thyron. And it's not for a headline, 
Jesus is the headline. And Thyron lives his life that way. Jesus is lifted up in, in that way in his life. And he does all of that, his hands in so many areas of this church, so that Jesus can be on display in the lives of people and people's lives can be changed. So can we just thank Thyron and everybody like him here this morning? They're the door holders in this house. And you are the amazing people of the fine print. And there's too many to name in this room right now. But the lesser known yet extraordinary people that beautifully carry the cause of Christ and faithfully build his church. Are you seeing it? And maybe we can learn from a guy like Thyron, a guy that's over here saying, somebody made a way for me, and it's a time for me to make a way for somebody else. So I want to be a part of that story. I want to carry my bag this morning. I want to be a part of the story. Church is not an organization that you join. Doug, you can come on up if you're, if you're coming up wherever you're at. Um, it's, church is not a, an organization that you join. It's a transformative community of people who've come alive in Jesus Christ, whose, whose hearts are being changed by him, who realize, A, in the story that we've been reading this morning, God will never count anybody out. God will never count anybody out, and B, we'll never do just what's required. We'll always look for ways to go above and beyond to reflect the gospel of Jesus to our community and those around us. And when we live like that, when we don't count people out, when we believe in the greater kingdom, and when we don't think any role is too small in God's great story, then transformation happens in people's life. It happens in families. It happens in our church. It happens in our communities, and it will happen in our culture. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's close this morning. Father God, we are so thankful to be the people that are in your story. God, this morning we say we're not going to count you out, no matter where we are at in our particular time in this, this moment in our story. God, we declare this morning that your kingdom is over every other kingdom, and it's transformative. And God, when we say yes, Lord, we can be used by you to transform the face of a culture. God, we say this morning, use us that way. And it's not for a headline. It's not for that at all. You're the headline. We've already established that you're the headline. It's all for your fame. It's all for your glory. It's all for you. So God, we jump into that this morning with both feet. God, we say use us. And the songs that we've sung this morning, <laughs> fresh wind, fresh fire. Spirit of the living God, breathe afresh on us this morning. If we've settled into a place of comfort, God, where you've asked us to step out in boldness, God, I pray that you would help us to grab onto that bag this morning and do what only you can do. We'll do our part. We'll do the natural. God, you do the supernatural. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Now we're continuing. We're in, a, we're in a story this morning. And maybe you're here this morning and you haven't said yes to Jesus. I want to open up the invitation to do that. Last night, we, we, I had the chance to, the opportunity to minister. And, and um, God, we, I just saw just a beautiful story of transformation. An addict who came up and was just crying rivers saying, I, I'm, I want to step into the new story that you have for me. I can't tell you it touched my heart. It broke me apart. You have that opportunity today. No matter where you at, you're at in your story, God can give you a new life, a resurrected life, a 
And that's why I believe you're here this morning. So whether you've made this decision before and you say, I need to resurrender this morning, or if this is your first time, uh, with nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, just raise your hand this morning. This is just a personal decision. Raise your hand up high in the air. We want to pray and agree with you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Father God, we declare your purposes, your kingdom purposes as we leave this place this morning. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.